I don't know. I don't know. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. We've got a lot to do tonight. Let me catch you up. If you, if you weren't here last week, if you haven't been here, if this is your first time here, we're in the book of Galatians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians, because he was writing to the Galatians. So now you're, uh, you're aware of that. Um, what we've been doing for the last four, five, six weeks is talking about the fact that Paul is establishing the fact that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus how I can look on the outside. It's not any of those things. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and if you were here last week, we, we, we saw an episode where Paul confronted Peter because he wasn't living that truth. He wasn't living in line in step with the truth of the gospel. So what happened was these guys were coming in. They were um, Jews, and they came in, and Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. And, and we saw how, um, because he was doing that, he was basically saying, I'm not going to eat with you guys because you're not clean. You're not circumcised. You're not eating the right things. You're eating the wrong things. And so I'm going to lay back and abstain from eating with you. And so we saw how that was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. And, and we read uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. We talked about the fact that the law the rules of God, the, the things he tells us to do, the things he tells us not to do, really are, are to serve as a diagnostic. They tell us what's wrong with us. It's like an MRI. It tells you what's wrong with your knee, but it can't fix it. And so really what Paul has been doing in the, the whole letter up to this point is saying, look, you guys are relying on Jesus plus something, and I'm telling you it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Look at chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, I want to stop there and I want to just ask you, how does Paul's tone sound in this opening verses of these chapters? Does he sound happy? No, he's upset. He's saying, oh, foolish Galatians. He's actually calling them stupid. He's actually saying that someone has bewitched you. Someone has ensnared you to this false doctrine. He's saying you guys are stupid, basically, is what he's saying. I wouldn't recommend um, repeating that, but that's, that's basically what he's saying. Um, but what he's saying here, look at, look at verse 1. It says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That word for publicly portrayed, it just means that they didn't see it personally. They didn't see it with their eyes, but it means that the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the fact that Jesus lived, the fact that he died, the fact that he rose, it was portrayed before their eyes. It would captured their hearts. He was publicly portrayed. It was preached to them and they believed it and the Holy Spirit caused them to believe it. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that you and I are dead in our trespasses and sins before God wakes us up in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You are dead in your trespasses but God. So what happens in that moment when God draws you in, when he wakes you up, is that the Holy Spirit is awakening your heart and my heart and God is calling us to himself. But Christ is the cornerstone. He says that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. The essence of the gospel message is not how to live. We talked about this. The gospel is an announcement. If you have your outline, it's that first point there. It's, it's the message of Christ crucified. 
It's not a command. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. We've talked about this for weeks, but it's good to say it again. It's good to remind myself of it again because I need to hear that every day, that the gospel is not a command. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not things you're supposed to not do and things you're supposed to do. The gospel is an announcement about what Jesus has already done. And when the gospel is preached, when it's heard, when it's believed, it's believed with power. The Holy Spirit gives you power to believe the gospel. That's what 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says. Paul says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So the Holy Spirit moves in men's hearts. Look at verse 2 there. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Are you so stupid? Having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? Now, now what is he saying here? He's saying it's not by works. We talked about this at length, but I just want to lay it before you again because it's something that I need to preach to myself every day. Martin Luther said he was a a German monk. He was kind of a weird-looking guy back in the 15th, uh, 15th century. He said that the article of faith which is grace, that's how, we get, um, that's how we get God, it's grace, it's unmerited favor. He says that you and I are too weak to believe it. So our flesh, our body, our mind can't wrap our minds fully around grace. That's why we never fully understand it. That's why we're never fully perfect, because if we perfectly understood grace, if we fully grasp it, if we grasp how sinful we were, if we grasp how far we were from God, we would never want to do anything to hurt him, but you and I can't fully grasp it. That's why Paul hammers it home here over and over. Not even your belief was a work. I want you to, I want you to realize that because we just talked about it. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead. Now, we talked about this. Can a dead person do anything? Can a dead person move? Can a dead person blink? Can they raise their hand? No, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God woke you up. That in itself, the fact that you were able to believe was granted to you by God. That's not a work of yourself. And Tim Keller, I love what he says about believing the gospel. He says this, to believe the gospel is not merely to assent to assertions about Christ. It's not, just to, it's not really just to know that, okay, he was a guy and he lived and he did some good things. It's not just that, but it's to stop trying to attain salvation by observing the law. We are all striving to complete ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable to God ourselves and others, and we trust our efforts to attain that through moral, vocational, and relational achievements. What is he saying? He's saying that you and I are born looking for something to complete ourselves. We're born in sin. The Bible says we're born in Adam because Adam sinned. He was the first man. He was our first father. Adam sinned so that you and I are born into sin. So when we're born into this world, we are sinful. Okay, so here's the thing. The Bible says that you're not, you don't just tell lies. It says that you are a liar. The Bible says that you don't just murder. It says you're a murderer. The Bible says that you don't just lust. It says you're an adulterer. The Bible says you are sinful. You don't just do bad things. You are bad things. That's how you and I are born into this world. We are looking for things to complete ourselves. We run to our morals. We run to the things we do for a living. If you're, if you're an adult, you run to you know, how much money I can make, what I do for a living, can I provide for my family. If you're a student, you, you maybe look for things, you look for approval in grades and the, the accolades that you can get at school. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with a boyfriend or girlfriend. You want that to complete you, but it never will. So believing the gospel is abandoning all of that. It's abandoning that approach. It's, it's yielding. It's saying, you know what? 
I'm going to believe the gospel, so I'm going to stop striving to complete myself on my own. I'm, I'm, just, going to, I'm just going to stop. God, I know that you, you came and you lived and you died and you rose again so that I don't have to try to do that on my own because I know I can't. Believing the gospel is yielding. It's stopping. It's giving up and saying, God, it's, it's all on you. I believe in you. I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. Look at verse 3 again. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that you guys are crazy. You started by the Spirit. You begun in the gospel. You, you, you received this message. The Spirit brought it to you. You believed it. You heard it. You loved the message. You looked to Jesus. You were saved. You believed in the gospel. And then you left it behind. You said, okay, I believe the gospel. I believe in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But now I'm going to leave that over here. And I'm going to move on to some deeper like, theological, spiritual thing that I, haven't even, I can't even think of yet because I'm not mature enough. Paul's saying, no, it's the gospel. It's grace. It's only God that grows us in the Christian life. The gospel is how we grow. He says, are you so foolish? Do you think that since you were saved at your worst, now that you're saved, God's affections for you are going to be less when you mess up? You see how backwards that is? We talked in week one about the fact that if you add or take anything from the gospel, you reverse it all together. But I want to tell you that you and I reverse the gospel every day. When we believe that we have to do things to keep God happy with us, that's not the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is happy with us based on Christ. We don't obey God to get his approval. We have his approval, therefore we obey. That's the gospel. Well, there's a big uh, word for this in in Christianity. It's called sanctification. Anybody ever heard it? Sanctification. Say that with me. Very good. Look at... Verse 3 again, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Sanctification is the process of being perfected. It's the process of, it starts when you accept Christ, it starts when you yield to Him and you say, God, I'm going to stop trying on my own, but the problem is that you and I are still sinners. And what God is going to do for the rest of my life, for the rest of your life, is make us more and more perfect. But here's the key, we never get there until we die. So we're going to talk about what is sanctification. So if sanctification is being perfected, if it's being made perfect, can you think of anyone who was perfect? It's a church answer. It's real easy. Yeah, if you say Jesus, you're probably going to be right, right? Okay, so Jesus was the only perfect one to ever live. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So let's talk about what sanctification is. It's looking more and more like Jesus. It's the process of God molding us, shaping us through His grace. He's doing it. He's making us see Jesus, savor Jesus, want to be like Jesus, want to look more like Jesus because of what Jesus has done. For us. So a few things to just remember about sanctification. It's not about trying harder. It's not about me, 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 what I can do. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do this. And let's just talk real practically. I think some of you guys in here, you, you feel like, you, you believe that once you're saved, it's up to you to do the growth, right? 
Once you're saved, it's up to me. I've got to do all these things. I've got to get up in the morning at 6 a.m. and read my Bible. I've got to get up and pray. I've got to do this. I've got to check these things off the list because I check, if I check these things off the list, then I'm going to grow. And that's not always bad. We have what's called Christian disciplines. These are, are things that we do because we want, to, we want to get more of God. But when it's up to you, then you take God out of the equation. You take the gospel out of the equation. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. A lot of, a lot of guys... Um, I'll say it this way. When I, was, when I was in high school, I struggled with lust and pornography, and I'm just being honest with you guys right now. And, and, and that's, a, that's a really dark sin. That's a really addictive sin. That's something that we can get caught up in, and we can just, we, can just we, can, we, we go for a couple weeks, and we're doing good, and then we stumble, right? And then we go for a couple weeks, and we're doing good, and then we stumble, right? Maybe it's not even that sin. Maybe you got something else. Maybe it's, um, you know, gossiping or something like that. But, but it always seems like you, you're doing really good, and, and you're kind of doing it, and you're kind of just you're kind of clenching your fist, and you're making sure, I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm not going to fail this time, and then all of a sudden, you fail. And you ask questions like, God, why can't I stop? Why am I doing this? Why is this, why is this all I can think about? How am I doing? What, is, what am I doing wrong? And you, you see what the common denominator is there? You're asking about me. What am I doing? How am I doing? What can I do? And the gospel is all about Jesus See, what you're doing when we do that and what I'm doing when I do that is, is we're really mowing over the weeds. I have a palm tree on the left side of my front yard. If you've been to my house, you've seen it. It's a big, beautiful palm tree. And then I have, uh, I think it's an oak. It's a huge, it's, I think it's going to fall on my house one day. But as a result, the entire left side of my yard is completely weeds. I don't have a, a, an honest blade of grass on that side of the yard. And here in the state of Florida, it tends to rain a lot. Can I get an amen? So, so I mow my yard about 13 times a week, um, and what, what tends to happen is what tends to happen is the left side of my yard, which is all weeds, that thing shoots up, that grows up. I mean, it seems like as soon as I mow that thing over, I turn around and boom, those weeds are up again, right? I mean, anybody anybody been there? Anybody mowing the yard yet? All right, Peyton, can I get an amen? All right, see. So what happens when we mow over the weeds in our Christian life is that we mow over the surface level sins. We mow over, you know, we, we want to maybe install some software on our computer. All right, so that's going to help us. And that's not a bad thing. Don't hear me say that at all. I recommend those kind of things. But what we do in that situation is we just mow over the weeds. We just cover it up. We throw a blanket over our sin and we don't treat the heart issue. So then you're walking down the road and you see a cute girl and your mind starts to go there. Or maybe if your sin is gossip, you're, you're walking down the hall at school and you've kind of, you said, I'm not going to talk with these people, but then you overhear another conversation over here and your, your heart starts to go there, your mind starts to go there, and your heart is drawn into that. See, the underlying problem in our hearts is called idolatry. It means that you and I are trying to complete ourselves with something other than God. And what the gospel does is it goes in and it uproots our idols. Let me show you how. So, so you're saying, okay, you're, you're telling us in high school you struggled with lust, you struggled with pornography, so how did you overcome those things? The answer is I didn't. I, I just looked to Jesus for him to do it. I just looked to Jesus for him to do it. I said, God, I can't do this. I'm tired of trying on my own. I'm tired of going for a couple weeks and then failing. And so what I did was I, I said, God, I'm giving this to you. I want to look to you. I want to see you as better than this. The, the, the satisfaction, the, the joy that I can get from you, God, is better than the temporary joy that I can get from this. You see what I'm doing there? 
Because when Jesus comes into your heart, when he, when he grows in your heart, when you see him more, when you begin to love him more, there's no room for those other things. There's an old hymn. I love it. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's talking about just looking at him. This is how we beat sin. And, and it says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what sanctification is all about. What is your functional savior? A functional savior is something that gets you through the day. It's something that you think, okay, when I, when I go home, I, I may be having a terrible day today, but when I go home, I know this is going to be there. When I go home, I know my parents are going to approve of the grades that I've gotten. When I go home, I know I'm going to be able to relax and just veg out and play video games the rest of the night. When I go home, I know that that computer is going to be there and I'm going to be able to access some sites and I'm just going to be able to unplug from the world and just there's, I, can, I can just take comfort in whatever's out there on the internet. What's your functional Savior, what gets you through the day? What things are you not, can you not stop thinking about? It's that thing that consumes you. See, whatever it is for you and me, and it may not even be a bad thing. It could be a girlfriend, could be a boyfriend, could be a relationship that's completing you. It could even be a husband or a wife for those of us that are married. But when that thing becomes higher in our affections than Jesus, it is a sin. I want you to hear that. When that thing becomes higher in our affections than Jesus, it's a sin. It's an idol. It's our functional Savior. Sanctification involves believing the message of the gospel more and more and letting it kind of take root in our rebellious places of our heart, those places where those idols still reside. See, the gospel comes in and pushes that out. Martin Luther said that to progress is always to begin again. To move forward in the Christian life is to remember the gospel, to remember Jesus, to remember what Jesus has done for you, to remember where you were when he saved you so that you can move forward. Paul, look at, look at Romans chapter 7. Just turn there. I just love that. This gives me so much encouragement for my life. This is towards the end of Paul's life. For, this is Romans 7 verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? The Apostle Paul is a pretty good dude. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he had just gotten done explaining that there are certain things he... He wants to do that are good things, but he can't do. And there are certain things that are bad things that he can't stop doing. And he's saying, I, I, I've, I've been doing this Christian life for a long time. I've been trying to live it. I've been trying on my own, and I can't do it. So if the apostle Paul can't do it, what does that say for you and me? I'll just be honest. For me, there's not a lot of hope. So, so, so what do we have hope in? Look at what he said there. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The second, the second point about sanctification, if you're following along in your outline, it's not instant. It's, it's, it's actually painfully slow. So I can look back on my life. I've been walking with the Lord for several years, and I can look back on my life and say, you know what? I really should be a lot farther along than I am now. I really should be not doing the stupid things that I used to do and, and really doing some better things, some bigger things for God. But I just can't. I'm just, I'm just, I get tired of doing good things and then I want to go back to doing bad things. But it's, it's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight. It's, it's something that always happens within us. It doesn't end until you die. That's cheerful, right? That's, that's what we want to hear. But, but I'm just being honest with you guys. And, 
And your D group leaders will tell you. I mean, I mean, ask them in your groups tonight. Hey, does this, does this struggle ever go away? Do you ever have to stop fighting sin? Have you ever overcome sin? If, if they say yes, they're a liar, the Bible would say, not me. The Bible would say that. And, and then we'll have another conversation. The third thing there is that sanctification is, is, is by grace-driven effort. And I want to just explain what that means. What is grace? Unmerited favor, right? The unmerited favor of God given to us in Jesus Christ. So, what Paul is saying here is, say, Oh foolish Galatians, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? So, so grace-driven effort means that I'm going to put forth effort, but it's only because God is giving me the ability to do that. Listen to one of my favorite quotes from D.A. Carson. He says, People, that's you and me, we're people, do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness. Prayer, obedience to the scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and we trick ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So he's saying that apart from grace-driven effort, apart from an effort that is granted by God, by grace, through our faith in Christ, you and I are not naturally going to go towards God. We talked about it already. You and I are born into sin. We are fleshly bodies. Our bodies are jacked up. They're messed up. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. What I'm saying is that you and I are not going to drift naturally towards holiness. We're not going to drift naturally towards God apart from grace. See, grace changes everything. The gospel changes everything. What do we say about idols? When the gospel gets in there, when it, we really start to believe it in our heart, when it starts to change our affections, that's when we begin to change, when we begin to see Jesus as better than those things that we chase after. That's the only way sin is beaten in our life. And listen to me, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't set up parameters. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but I'm just saying the only way to beat sin at a heart level is by seeing and savoring God's grace, loving him more, understanding more what he has done for you and me, understanding how far we were from him, and because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, what he has done for us. So here's an illustration for you. If I, if I, if I have a plant, if I say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant um, I don't know, a cactus. All right, I'm from Texas. I'm going to plant a cactus. No, not a cactus. What's, what's a good, somebody give me a plant. A marigold. All right, I'm going to plant a marigold. If I want to plant that thing right here on the stage, first of all, Andy would probably get a little mad at me because that's kind of his territory. But if I want to plant that thing, how, how do you think that, that um, flower is going to grow right here? I mean, if I, just, if I just tried to plant it in that wood right there, that, that wood that I'm standing on, What's going to happen to that flower? Yeah. It's going to die, right? Okay, but what if I build a greenhouse right out here? What if I, guys, hey, hang on, we're almost done here. What if I build a greenhouse right out here, and I, and I go out there every day, and I fertilize the plant, and I water it, and I sing to it, right? People say if you sing to flowers, they grow. So, so what's the difference there? What is the difference? And let me ask you this. Am I physically, with my hands or with my mind, am I making the plant grow? Am I? 
So what happens, what happens with grace-driven effort, we're almost there, guys. What happens with grace-driven effort is that you and I are given by God tools to help us grow. So you can put yourself in environments that, that are, are good for growth, right? You can put yourself in that greenhouse. So if you put yourself over here on the wood, if you try to plant your roots in, in, in something that's not even soil, you're not going to grow. But if you, if you put yourself in the greenhouse, you have a better chance to grow. That's what Philippians chapter 2 says when it says, it is God who works in you to will and to work. He changes your motivation. He, wants, he, he makes you press into those things reading the Bible, praying, looking to him. He makes you press into those things. It's, it's him that's doing it. It's not you that's doing it. As you see him more, as you love him more, as you savor him more, it's him that's doing it. It's not you. James would say it like this, that faith without works is dead. Well, well we just talked about for the last six weeks that, that works is not what justifies us. No one is justified by works of the law. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2. But James takes it a step farther and he says, you're right. We're justified by faith alone, but it's not a faith that stays alone. Works, sanctification, holiness, looking more like God, that's the evidence of the fact that you are saved. Let's go on, read verse 6 with me, back in Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that is those who are, the son, uh, those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham was in the Old Testament. Okay, he was justified by faith. Abraham was not justified by his works. The Bible says that he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The gospel, if you're following along in your outline, that third point, the gospel has always been the plan. It's the story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. So man was created perfectly to love God, to know God, to be with God, and then man fell, Adam and Eve fell in the garden. You and I are separated from God more so than we'll ever be able to imagine. Jesus comes, he makes, he bridges that gap, he saves us. He's coming back again one day. That's the story of the gospel, and it's been the plan since the beginning. Look at verse 7. I find this interesting. Know then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, this is really interesting because Paul is writing to a church here, and he's writing to some, some Jews, some Gentiles, and it's kind of a mixture. And remember, we talked last week because when, when the Jews came down from Antioch, Peter pulled back and didn't eat with the Gentiles. So you kind of have a mixture there. Well, traditionally, the Israelites were the people of God, the, the Jewish nation. If you were racially Jewish, you were the people of God. But what Paul is saying here, the sons of Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, are those who are of faith. So look right at me. You are not a Christian because your parents are Christian. You are not a Christian because you're born in Florida. You're not a Christian because you come to Heritage Baptist Church every twice a week, every week, all of your life. You're not a Christian because you go to Lakeland Christian School. You're not a Christian because you're in FCA. You're not a Christian because of these things on the outside. It is those who are of faith that are Christians. And the Christian life is not about us. It's not about us at all. There's really two ways to live the Christian life. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Sorry, we're flipping all over the place tonight, but I love this passage. 
Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, this is verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, we're talking about that tonight, we're talking about sin, which so um, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. If you underline in your Bible, underline this next verse. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The Christian life is not about us. It's about Jesus. There's two ways to live it. It's all about looking in. What am I doing? How can I get better? What am I doing to make God love me? Or it's all about looking to Jesus, looking at him, learning about him, reading about him in the scriptures. How can I become more like him? Because I love him. It's all about reading about him, loving him, desiring him. Those are the two ways to live the Christian life. One of them is false. One of them is fleeting. And one of them gives life. Let's read on in Galatians 3. We're almost done. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So he's saying there, if you rely on the law, if you, if you get saved and if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you put your trust in him, if you give your life to him, and then you start relying on the law, you're abandoning Jesus. If you say, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, now it's up to me to get closer to God, you're leaving Jesus behind. And that's reversing the gospel. You're missing the point of the gospel. You never leave Jesus behind. Jesus is the cornerstone. We've been singing about it for weeks. Christ alone, cornerstone. He is the point of the Christian life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He came to be a curse for us. That's why I want to Always press into your mind 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for your sake, and for mine, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that in him you and I could become the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel. Verse 14 tells us that, that we're not alone. There's a helper, the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit a helper. So we're going to talk real, real practically about a few, uh, just a few ways that we can we can. You say, okay, I, I get what you're saying. Sanctification is not, not something I do on my own. It's, it's by grace-driven effort. But, but there are some practical things to that, right? I mean, we got to put ourselves in the greenhouse, right? We can't plant ourselves here on the stage. So how do we do that? What are, what are the things that we look for? What are the things we do in the Christian life? Well, I think the first one is to remember where you were when he rescued you. When we talked week one about the fact that he rescued us, if you're a believer in Christ in this room, he rescued you. If you're a believer in Christ, you can point to a time where you say, I was dead, and then he woke me up. I was far from God, and then he changed me. I had a heart of stone, and then he gave me a heart of flesh. That's, that's regeneration. That is your conversion. That's what being saved is all about. That's the whole deal. I was this way. Now I'm this way. Remember where you were when he saved you. Daily go back to when you were rescued. I mean, I mean, I wake up every morning and I try to thank God for rescuing me. The fact that just a, a, a stupid, you know, 
kid that grew up in church, that knew scripture, that, that my heart was far from God, that he eventually used all those experiences in my life, that when I was 21 years old, he awakened me to faith in Christ. And he used that, and I remember that every day. Let me give you an illustration. You, you, when you move to a new house, so, so I just moved, right? Uh, it kind of doesn't work for this illustration because I moved pretty far, but if you move to a different house on your street, I bet if you were driving home, sometimes you would go back to your old house, right, just out of habit. You drive there every day. Your parents drive there every day. Sometimes if you, if you moved a couple houses down, you would, you would still pull into your old driveway, right? What, what do you have to do? You have to remember that you moved. Remember that your address has changed. See, Colossians tells us that God in Christ has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness. He's taken us from that, and he's moved us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have to remember that our address has changed. The second thing, remember that you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to reach full maturity. There's not some ethereal like level that Pastor Bill and Pastor Dave are at that we're all going to get to one day. Those guys struggle. Those guys sin. Those guys still need the gospel. They tell me that every day, and I'm so thankful for it. And I tell them that, and we confess to each other. I tell the leaders that. Your leaders tell their wives that. They tell their husbands that. They tell their ABF classes that. They tell each other that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need grace. Remember that you're never going to be perfect. The third thing is look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Just, just fix your eyes on him. Just stop, stop looking in. Stop looking at me, me, me. I'm terrible. I'm bad. Or I'm good. I'm, I'm doing these things so I'm okay. Look at him. Because when we look at him, we're all bad, right? When we look at his perfection, we all know we're in need of him. So look to him. Learn about him. Read about him in the scriptures. I mean, that's what this whole book is about. This whole book from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. And if you don't believe me, come talk to me about it. Come talk to your leader about it. It's all about Jesus. The fourth thing, the last thing is, is press into the community of faith. When God saves us, you know what the community of faith is? That's the church. That's the body. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a building. It's the community. It's a group. It's a family that God saves us into. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, that the fact that you and I are saved into a family. So press into that family. The fact that, that I can have freedom to come in here and confess to you my struggles, you can confess to me. I mean, Stephen and I do that to each other. Me and Stephen E., we talk about what we struggle with. It's awesome. Because he knows what I struggle with. I know what he struggles with. And I say, look, man, I've been there. I, I'm still there. And we talk, we talk about that to each other. And I can help him, and I can text him, and I can call him, and I can pray for him. And his D group leaders do that for him as well. Press into the community of faith. The gospel tells us that we're all messed up. We're all sinners. So we should have no reason to hide. We should have no reason to put on a fake face. Let's just be honest together about our need for Jesus. Let's pray. Before we pray, if you're new here, if this is your first time, what we're going to do now is go into our D group time. D groups are how we, we talk about the lesson together. It's how we kind of grow together. If you don't know where to go, just come up here to the front and find me and we'll get you to the right place. God, thank you for who you are, for what you've done. We thank you that, that, that you save us and then we thank you that after you save us, you don't just leave us on our own. You, 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 you actually give us the grace to, to look more like you. You give us the grace to seek you all the more. So I pray for us in this room, those of us that are believers, I pray that you would give us the grace to love you more. Pray that you would uproot our idols, that we wouldn't just mow over the weeds. That I know that's easy and I know it's tangible and I know we can check that off the list. But God, I pray that your gospel, your spirit would penetrate our hearts, 
that we would see that our idols are deep and they're dark and we need your gospel to uproot them. We need you to come in and we need to see you as better than our idols. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.